On this week's episode, the Maniacal Joker has returned. It's the biggest week in pro wrestling. And who do we think will win the Stanley Cup? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, the Lakers Fast Break, and the Inside Sports Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanking you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He's our own hockey goon of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, Topic Ocalypse, and his awesome book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Ready to hit the ice, my friend? Yeah, hockey season's starting finally. Just trying to get in there and watch it when I can. But yeah, I'm excited. As am I, my friend. The first games are already started out there for the NHL season. And at the end of the podcast, we're going to go ahead and share our thoughts on who will raise the Stanley Cup once again. Plus, also, we're going to be talking about some great things when it comes to Call of Duty Mobile It debuted on the mobile charts this week. We'll tell you how well it's doing and the general thoughts and synopsis of what's going on with Call of Duty Mobile. Plus also as well, Rob McCallum is back on the show. He's going to have a little segment that he calls Off the Cuff with his thoughts on some of the goings on in the pop culture universe. And also as well, it's the biggest week in pro wrestling and Maddox and Thunder Cookies, the guys from the heavyweight chumps, but you got to check out their podcast, not only the Heavyweight Chumps, but also as well, RadioMemphis.com, because they now have a one-hour radio show on Radio Memphis, so you got to check that out as well. They're stopping by to talk about the biggest week in pro wrestling with All Elite Wrestling versus NXT, the season premiere of Raw, and finally, the Friday debut episode of SmackDown as WWE returns to broadcast television once again. So we're going to talk about that some of the shows we like so far, some of the things that need to be improved upon, some of the things that didn't quite work out so well. So we're going to hit all those topics this week because it is, for the first time in a long time, the biggest week in pro wrestling. But first, my friend, it's out. Finally, this weekend, a big moment for Warner Brothers and DC as the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix hits theaters this weekend. A lot of pub on it, a lot of reviews. We've talked about it already in advance. A lot of people are worried about it because of the potential themes that run alongside with the movie. There's been some warnings from law enforcement, military, but also a lot of interest. And it could also garner an October box office record as well. Yeah, it's weird because I actually thought that this movie was out already after all the reviews were coming out. So I, I didn't know that it still had not been released yet. I've been reading a lot about it and like, I don't, I personally don't believe that it's going to cause, you know, mass shootings like the, like the dark Knight did. But I mean, do you think that all the hysteria is justified over it? 
Well, I, you know, I, I think if there were no action taken or warnings or things of that nature taken, I think there is always that possibility. I think now because there's a heightened awareness by especially law enforcement that's out there, security has been added at several theaters around the country for the safety of all consumers that are going to the theaters this weekend. I really think that we hopefully, and keep your fingers crossed, man, I really think that it's going to be a lot safer than what it would have been had there not been this heightened awareness of what's going on with the Joker film. Again, there are themes within the Joker film itself that people are really worried about survivors of gun violence and other individuals, lawmakers, again, government officials have all been worried about this film coming out. Ones that have seen it in advance have also expressed their concern. But again, as a movie, critics have also weighed in, for the most part, some very stellar reviews, Oscar buzz already for Todd Phillips, the director, and of course, Joaquin Phoenix, who plays another iteration, The Joker, which I thought... Yes, it's being done, but I didn't think it could be done again at the level of what we've seen with Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. And of course, to an extent, Mark Hamill, who have played the Joker so brilliantly over the years. So I ask you, my friend, it's headed for a big debut. With all that aside, it's headed for a big debut. $85 million or roughly thereabouts. With all that said and done and the hype is there, do you think this could be ending up after all said and done a big win for Warner brothers. Oh, I think so. But here's, what's going to happen. If the film is overly successful, they're going to go against what Todd Phillips wants. And they're going to try to incorporate that into their universe, or they're going to try to make more films in that Joker universe, because that's what Warner brothers has always done. You're right. Because he has said repeatedly that this is going to be a one-off, but if it is a major success, the temptation might be just too great. I mean, trying to shoehorn his Joker into the rest of the DC universe, especially the fact that it looks like it's set either in the late 70s or early 80s. I don't even think that it would fit well, that this version of the Joker would fit well within the confines of, let's say, Wonder Woman 84, because that takes place in 1984. I still don't think that would work from there. I think you're right. It should be left alone as a standalone product, as a standalone movie. But the temptation, especially if this does as well as people are hoping or as people are, are projecting anyways, then it looks like this could be something that could be too great of a temptation for Warner Brothers not to leave alone. Yeah, because they're still looking for that spark. I mean, they kind of found it with, uh, I don't want to say Shazam, but I mean, a couple of their their Aquaman, with Wonder Aquaman. Woman, like, yeah, they've they've kind of found the spark, but if the Joker is extremely successful, then who's to say they're not going to try to incorporate that into the DC universe and try to get, you know, Joaquin to come back and play Joker in another movie, or maybe do another hero back in the era that the Joker film takes place there. It's, it's not, I don't think it's, I don't think it's safe to say they won't try to exploit it in some way. You know, it's funny, my friend, because, I want to say that this is a total 180 that I've taken. Now I want to go see the film. I'm going to go see the film. And in fact, Jason Ton Feinberg coming up on the Monday show is going to review the film for us. And hopefully I will have seen it by then myself. But we've gone from a point where we didn't want to see the movie. And I know you probably still don't want to see the movie. But I would now want to see the movie after those initial trailers just didn't give us the good vibes. But 
all the hubbub, all the, the news, all the reviews. Now I'm really on board with it. But it's interesting. The one with a lot of good buzz originally at the time, Shazam, bombed at the theaters. It really didn't do well at all, which was a shame because a lot of people truly enjoyed that film for so many reasons. That one didn't do well, but the Joker looks like it's going to go ahead and at least recoup some of those losses. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds like it. it has a lot of buzz going around it. And like, it's weird because I don't think it's the marketing that's really done great for this. It's the the fear that the movie has created that has caused all the hype and it's made it so, because even, you know, as a teacher, I have my students asking me why everyone's so worked up about this movie and that's making them want to go see it. So I don't necessarily think it's the trailers or the posters that had anything to do with it as much as the uh, the fear that's coming with it. And then like the all over the place reviews that they, that it got from like IGN variety and all those places. Well, because it came out so early, it almost like, for instance, we talked about sometimes video games that come out for reviews, at least a month, a month and a half in advance the uncharted games. They always seem to come out well in advance of their expected release date. And this seemed to happen here because a lot of people were able to go ahead and review it based off of what they saw at the previous film festivals. I think it was Toronto or Venice, one of the film festivals that the Joker was shown in. That's when these reviewers could go ahead and start talking about the film. And for the most part, they were stellar. A lot of these individuals got to go ahead and publish their thoughts right away but also suggest as well the themes, the heavy items that are contained within the film, they got to go ahead and talk about that as well. And I think that's what got people started. That's what got the buzz initiated. That's what got the concern raised as far as, well, not just from parents, not just from gun violence victims, but the government and law enforcement as well. So now you have all these entities are creating a lot of the stir that are very concerned. And in some cases, rightly so, but also it has created a lot of buzz for a lot of individuals like you and I and a lot of other people who say, you know what, wow, this is creating a lot of interest, not only Oscar buzz, but also a lot of buzz in the news. I think i got to go ahead and check it out. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why it has perpetuated into a film that we thought originally when we saw the first trailer was just going to be a one week and done. It's out of theaters or a film that we really didn't have many expectations for into a film that we could think by the end of 2019 could be one of the biggest success stories of the year. Yeah, I agree. And it's something in the superhero universe, which is not really something you ever thought would happen or critics really believed would ever happen. And I just, the the reception that the film was getting still amazes me. It's just, it makes me wonder, are we going to see more attempts like this from Warner Brothers or even is Marvel going to try to make something like this, find their most, you know, fringe and insane villain and do like an opera on mental health, much like the Joker is. I'm just, what kind of films is this film going to yield? Well, I can see some stuff that Sony, which you and I have talked about in the Spider-Verse, Carnage and some others, maybe having possibly this type of film. I mean, we thought Venom, was a film that we thought could realistically be in that type of mold. Again, it's now done so well financially, Sony couldn't resist but to make a sequel and now make a whole universe or at least add it on to the Spider-Verse in a very substantial fashion. But you have these other properties like we've talked about before, Carnage and some others that you may want to do some one-offs, R-rated or otherwise, that go ahead and touch on these sensitive subjects that 
can create maybe that kind of buzz. I don't see Marvel doing it per se, unless they do maybe like they would, uh, you know, a Deadpool or something else, an offshoot R-rated film that they would not produce under the Disney Marvel banner per se. They would maybe do it on one of their other film studios that they could go ahead and do it. You know, they could realistically still do it under Fox as well. Yeah, they could. But then again, what happens if the movie is crazy successful? Of course, they're going to want to incorporate it into the MCU, which is why, you know, Warner Brothers is going to be really setting the standard here on what happens to movies like this. Because anything, as we've seen with the whole Sony Disney thing, if a movie is successful, people are going to want a bigger chunk of the profits. And that's what will happen if this movie is crazy successful. Warner Bros. is going to want to make more money off of it as much as they possibly can. And if they do that, then Marvel will see the trend. And who knows what could happen from there? You're right. Who knows what can happen from there? But I will say the Joker is looking to do very well at the box office with any luck. And with a lot of interest and good word of mouth, it could hit $100 million this weekend at the box office, which you and I, at when it first came out, as far as the trailers are concerned, we just thought it would have no inkling to come even close to that. We, had, we were very down on it. I know I've changed my mind. We'll still see what you think later on down the line. I know it's going to be a really even harder twist for you to go ahead and maybe watch it. I'm sure you'll watch it at some point in time, but I know... For both of us, it's something that, at least from the point that we first started, it's a long way from where we once were. So I'm looking forward to seeing the Joker. I can't believe I'm saying those words almost out of my mouth. If it was time from when the first trailer started, it's just incredible to say. But yes, I am looking forward to seeing the Joker this weekend at the box office. And it's expected to even get close to or surpass to become the all-time box office champion for a weekend in October, which would be great news for Warner Brothers and the Joker. And again, we'll see down the road whether or not Warner Brothers can leave this as a one-off or if the Joker is just so good, they won't be able to resist. What are your thoughts out there on the Joker? Please let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. You can also send us a message on your thoughts on whether you liked it, whether you didn't like it, or whether you plan to see it, Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Humanica Media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Well, coming up next, right after the break, Rob McCallum is going off the cuff on the latest news and trends in pop culture. And then right after that, Josh and I are going to be talking about Call of Duty Mobile. And is it doing well? Is it something you should get into? We'll talk about Call of Duty Mobile coming up after the break as well. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Off the Cup with Neil Guff. I'm your host, Rob McCallum. This is brought to you by Heroes Cards and Comics in London, Ontario, Canada, official sponsor of my new series, Action Figure Adventure. This, of course, is the near weekly show where we invite you to write in with topics you want me to explore. It's Off the Cuff, and I got no guff. 
Two big announcements this past week involving Kevin Feige. He's working on a Star Wars film, and let's emphasize it's a single film and not a trilogy like everybody else seems to get when they show interest in the property. And he's back in the saddle on the next Spider-Man film after Marvel and Sony were able to work out a deal to continue making billions of dollars. First, regarding Star Wars, and I'm curious about all things Star Wars now that the Skywalker saga is over. What is Star Wars now? What can it be? It's going to be an interesting era that really redefines our understanding of that entire universe. And why not see what a guy like Feige can do? If he can make sense out of Marvel's characters with decades of interconnected stories, can he do the same for Star Wars and maybe draw upon the now classified Legends material to forge something new? Or is he going to go an entirely original route and not rely on anything previously written? Lots of questions as always, it's Star Wars is anything but a given hit at this point. His involvement in another Spider-Man film could mean a lot of things from wanting to cap off the trilogy he helped create, especially since the last film ended on a big reveal. Maybe he's trying to work his way into a consulting role on the future direction of Sony's bigger goals with their Spider-Verse, or maybe he just likes to make money with spandex cloud powered people. Given both Star Wars and Spider-Man bits, he's really going to be busy. I think it's a, it's an obvious play for Disney to get him involved in Star Wars. Why not? That franchise and property seems to need all the help, and Feige's a real power producer, as they say these days. And Spider-Man clearly has benefited from his role on the previous two films. I was recently asked, can The Irishman be a big win for Netflix? Well, it has to be a huge hit, and thanks to recent reviews, it sounds like it's classic Scorsese. So count The Irishman up there with Goodfellas, Casino, and The Departed, if we can trust the early buzz. Everything Netflix does going forward has to be a hit. Disney, Apple, and Amazon are going big, and Netflix cannot rest on their acquisitions of the Seinfeld library or other little properties that they're getting that have fanfare to keep people around. It's going to take big event films and shows like The Irishman and last month's Star Crystal Age of Resistance to get people to plunk down their monthly fee. But can Netflix produce enough monthly hits without a dial tone of product? We're gonna see in the coming months. The next topic that was written in was asking about Latasha Lynch as 007. Let's of course be really clear here. Lynch's character, Nomi, is 007, not James Bond. 007 is a codename and a signed designation. Several 00 agents have popped up in the film series over the years, and with James Bond in retirement in Jamaica in the next film, apparently, MI6 filled his vacancy. They're just doing due diligence and making sure they have enough double agents. Bond will always be Bond. He's a tough-as-nails man trying to make right his way in a world that's evolving around him at a very fast pace. But I do really, and I mean really like the idea of a 007 series, or even a 00 series that looks at the adventures of other agents. Doesn't a 10-part 00 series sound amazing? Hell, set it during the Cold War or some other period and let it be a slow burn of tension, mystery, and of course, clever gadgets with compelling characters caught in the middle of impossible moral quandaries. I avoided two writing topics this week, but I guess I haven't avoided them since I'm going to talk about them anyways. I was asked to comment on Minecraft in its future. I really have no idea. It's a game I've never played, and I know that puts me in the 1% of the 1% that haven't played Minecraft or even really watched anything about it. It looks like animated Lego to me, and I'm sure that's the most ignorant thing you'll ever hear. But I do know, even if it's unavailable on new consoles or platforms going forward, the existing offerings will continue to have a huge following. We've seen this forever with the retro game community. So if Minecraft becomes a retro thing, it'll always be popular. And like most retro things, they find new life to, and new ways to continue existing for the fan base. And with a fan base as big as Minecraft, 
I don't think it's going away anytime soon, even if the heat has died off. You could say the same thing about Warcraft, but World of Warcraft seems to always be popular, even if it's not always taking headlines or grabbing our attention the way that it first did. Lastly, I was asked about the best animated shows, and frankly, I think it's a bit of a misleading question because usually whether a show is good or not has little to do with the form. Disney used to have a rule about animating and not to animate something unless it could only be achieved via animation. So the way that the genie shapeshifts in Aladdin, you could only do that with animation. You couldn't do that with live action, at least back in the day. Or Talking Animals was always a classic instance where animation makes more sense to do with those characters. Of course, the rules have changed, but look at stuff like The Simpsons or South Park. Are those shows good because it's animated? Not really, it's good because of the writing and the timeliness of it. So I'm not even gonna go down that road. It's a bit of a cop-out. Best animated shows I don't think is a fair discussion. It's more about what are the best shows and is it animated, does it matter? Check back every week with more Off The Cuff Thoughts with me, Rob McCallum. You can harass me on Twitter at Rob McZop or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the show. It's the PCC Multiverse. Thanks again to Rob McCallum for going off the cuff on this week's PCC Multiverse. Looking forward to him in future episodes going off the cuff as well. Well, my friend, Call of Duty came out this week with a mobile game that's just rocking the socks off a lot of people, except if you're Nintendo, which somehow is still doing very well in and of itself. So I ask you, my friend, reports say that it actually has surpassed 20 million downloads already and garnered over $2 million in microtransactions. Now, it is just like all these other free-to-play mobile games. It's designed to go ahead and suck you in, but it's also designed as well to make you pay. Yeah, so, I mean, you know my thoughts on Call of Duty. I honestly didn't even know this was a thing, but it sounds like it is. this is mobile gaming, right? We talked about this with Mario Kart. Like, this is mobile gaming. You... You put an idea out there. You get you hook people in with the uh, you know the basic gameplay and concept of it, and then you hit them with all the microtransactions, and that's what it sounds like this game is. Even so, like you go look at something like Elder Scrolls Blades, right? And that's full of microtransactions as well. That's what mobile gaming is. Mobile gaming is a platform for, I guess, gambling. You would say, and then uh, you know charging people more money than the game is worth. That's why. It's best to stick to, to console and PC gaming because mobile gaming is a it, it's a swap meet and I don't know if this game is fun maybe pe- people do like it I don't know what people have heard about it but if it's racking up more than two million dollars I'm curious what the audience is you know you, do you think that it's younger kids or do you think that it's adults playing it or like a healthy mixture of both I'm not sure if it's a healthy mixture of both I believe kids are playing it I could pretty much guarantee you that a lot of kids are playing it. When they're not playing Nintendo's Mario Kart Tour, they're playing this game. And somehow they're finding room somewhere for Pokemon Go and the Harry Potter mobile game as well, I'm sure. At least my kids are anyways. But I will say this, that these free-to-play mobile games with all these name brands attached to them, it's just a matter of how good they are to entice that individual to go ahead and give it a try and to keep them enticed and entranced to go ahead and spend money on it. I know we've talked about the success of Mario Kart Tour. This looks like it's going to be extremely successful as well. And the reason why is because that it's garnering good reviews too Is on top of that. I know we've had issues before with Call of Duty games on other platforms. Like remember, they were on the PS Vita at one time with a horrible 
game that a lot of people would rather soon forget. But with this mobile game that's out, they did a really quality job. It looks like, you know, and Activision has really done a number this time with a lot of people saying that it is very comparable and even better in some cases than PUBG Mobile, which is considered by many the best of the shooter mobile games that are on a mobile platform. So it's right there in the numbers. I mean, everybody's getting geared up for Call of Duty Mobile. It's just so interesting to see how that's taking place. But this is now going to be a nonstop thing, my friend. We've now seen a major entity for Nintendo and Mario coming to platform in both Super Mario Run and now Mario Kart Tour. We've now seen Bethesda dip its toes in the water with Elder Scrolls Blades. And now we see Call of Duty from Activision. I mean, we're just going to go ahead and see mobile versions of every major platform coming over to mobile. And you're going to see all these different familiar IPs now having a mobile version in and of itself. Do you see this ever stopping? Because I don't see it stopping anytime soon. No, and I honestly think that it's only going to be multiplayer games. Like you see... Final Fantasy, right, made the jump to mobile not too long ago. And they have game like you can play the original hits, but most of the stuff that they have out that people like to play are the ones filled with microtransactions. It it really is that mobile gaming is a swap meet. That's all it is. It's just it's for developers to make money. They spend all this money on these big AAA games and then they throw something on mobile just for the sake of profiting. It has Nothing to do with quality gaming when it comes to being on a mobile platform. It's all about how much money they can make. Yeah, maybe they'll try to make it. They need to obviously make it good so people pay for it. But like, look at Mario Kart. It's it's only for making money. That's that's all that is. And it sounds like the same thing with Call of Duty. Same thing with Fortnite. Like all these games exist on mobile platforms just to make money. And that's not gaming. That's just robbery. It feels. Well, how fast do you think one of the major players in the console industry that you and I have complained about over the recent months, aka 2K, will throw a major property like either Red Dead Redemption, GTA, or even Borderlands, which I think is right now the most susceptible to being on a mobile platform in that type of fashion, coming out sooner rather than later? I don't think, like, as far as Borderlands goes, like, they did port the Borderlands 2 onto PS Vita, and I think that there's a difference between a port onto a mobile platform and a mobile... Well, let's say a mobile version of Borderlands. Uh, Okay, so for a mobile version of Borderlands, I don't think that would happen because Randy Pitchford already has enough hate being thrown at him on the daily. I don't think that, you know, that, that brand could really endure going through the negative publicity that would come with loot boxes and stuff like that. So I, I, I I almost think, you know, I see why they do it. I don't think that it's worth the time and money to invest in making a mobile game unless you're going to make money off of it. I see maybe side scroller, you know, we have side scroller versions of Assassin's Creed. We have smaller versions of these games coming out, but I don't see like a lot of, bigger franchises, you know, like Halo or Gears or any of these creating mobile games in in the vein that we see them now. Maybe they will, but I just, I don't think that the fans of those series, this is what they want. Whereas Call of Duty is already a cash shoot anyway. So is Fortnite. So it's just, do we, are we going to see these bigger games, these more story oriented games hit mobile platforms? 
I don't know. I hope not, but I'm sure we're going to be seeing more of like the, the multiplayer type ones. Who knows? Maybe a Destiny one will be next. That could be a definite possibility. I know Destiny 2 has seen a resurgence in popularity with the release of new DLCs, so a lot of people are getting back into Destiny 2, and now that Bungie has its freedom from Activision and from Microsoft and is wanting to do its own thing right now, Destiny 2 is looking a lot better than it did, let's say, this time last year, so it's a good sign for them, but I could see them going onto a mobile platform with a Destiny version for the mobile audience. I think there could be a day where there could be a Borderlands or something from the 2K library that goes on a mobile platform because you know 2K and microtransactions, they're really heavily entwined. And as far as Microsoft, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility to see a Halo go on there at some point in time down the road. I think it's something that they may not contemplate sooner, but I think that's something that they'll contemplate later. I think it's something that they could do, seeing how well... PUBG, Fortnite, Call of Duty, Mario Kart, they're all doing well. Elder Scrolls is doing pretty good as well. So all these different entities on mobile lead to a bigger enticement for these other game makers, for these other publishers that haven't yet put their IPs onto a mobile platform in any real form or fashion as far as from a mobile phone standpoint with these free-to-play games that are not exactly free-to-play because you know they want you to really get to go ahead and, and get into the microtransaction part of it. Even with the backlash from that, I still say you're going to see a lot more of these IPs go into it. And I'm sorry, Josh, I think we're going to have this conversation further along down the road. Don't be surprised if you see your favorite IP come to mobile in a free-to-play format sometime soon. What are your thoughts out there on Call of Duty Mobile? Are you excited it's out? Are you playing it already? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, coming up next, Manic and Thunder Cookies from the Heavyweight Chumps. They're stopping by to talk about the biggest week so far in wrestling. We're going to talk about all that and more coming up right after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we are back with the show. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here for the PCC Multiverse. Thanks again for being a part of the show and part of the program. Well, it's been probably, I would say, one of the biggest weeks in a long time for the world of professional wrestling. A lot of things have gone on this week with competing companies. All Elite Wrestling, which had its debut show, AEW Dynamite, and also as well, WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment, with not only their season premiere on USA, but also as well their developmental program known as the NXT, their show on Wednesday nights competing with All Elite Wrestling and AEW Dynamite. Plus also on top of all that for the wrestling world, you've got WWE SmackDown coming to Fox for their return in many, many years. I mean, I mean the old days back, what, 15, 17 years ago when they were on UPN, when they were on different formats. Now they're back on broadcast network once again in a 
big gamble for Fox to see if WWE will pay off on their Friday nights. And here to talk to me about the biggest week in wrestling right now for 2019 and for the past recent years and also the foreseeable future are two awesome guys indeed. They're returning to the show. You got to check out their radio show at radio-memphis.com. It's their awesome show, The Heavyweight Chumps, and I'm here with Maddox and Thunder Cookies right now. Guys, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you on once again. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. It's always fun when we get to come on and talk some wrestling with some people. It was, like I said, one of the biggest weeks in wrestling in a long, long time with all the stuff that was going on, the Raw season premiere, NXT versus AEW, WWE SmackDown coming this Friday as people are hearing this. So I want to ask you guys first off, obviously the key battle that everybody was talking about is, and I don't want to say it's it's not quite as hype. I don't feel that that same magic as I once did back on Monday nights way back when, but they're calling it, quote unquote, the Wednesday night war with NXT versus AEW Dynamite. So I want to ask you guys your thoughts on the shows initially. NXT has been running around for about a couple weeks now on USA, got the jump on them, tried to do everything they can to persuade people to come in to watch their show. But with the ratings and how they came down, looks like AEW, for at least the foreseeable future, has at least the attention of the wrestling world. It definitely looks that way, especially when you look at the, uh, I think the early release numbers said 1.4 million for AEW for Wednesday night and 900,000 for NXT. Roughly that. Yes, that's correct. Uh, my complaint with the NXT getting the head start is quite simply, I think they were falsely advertising the first two weeks. They advertised that it was going to be a live two hours on USA. And what we got was a live first hour. And then you had to go over and watch the second hour on the WWE network, which for, for us at least caused a hell of a technical issue and crashed our network. So it took us a half an hour extra just to get the second hour to start. But I think after watching both of the products, AEW presents itself more like a wrestling program on television. What I grew up on with the old NWA and WCW Saturday night shows, whereas I get still from NXT, not as much as you do from Raw or SmackDown, that NXT is an entertainment show that features wrestling. And it harkens back somewhat to the Monday Night Wars. You, you know, you flip the channels back and forth between Monday Nitro and Raw at that point in time, going back and forth, deciding which show you wanted to go with, which storylines you wanted to follow, which matches were better and more interesting at each point in time. So I found myself going back and forth with each. I found both shows having some good points. I also found both shows to have some weak points as well that they need to shore up. But I want to hear from you guys, first off, the positives from each of the shows that you guys saw last night. Maybe it was match-wise, maybe it's the way it was set up, or maybe it's something that really stuck out to you both. The setups for the show, they put their best foot forward. They put the top of the line out there. And I I had read somewhere that AEW had left off Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy and all these others that were top talent also off the main show. But you got to look at, what you're up against and NXT 
Adam Cole and, and Riddle. They, yeah, yeah, that was a great match. And then the Shayna Baszler, Candice LeRae match was too short, in my opinion. They're not letting anyone seem to be a threat to Baszler, and I think that's starting to get old in the eyes of the fans. For me, you look at AEW the way they set it up. First match out of the gate, first match on TNT in 18 years, roughly. You get Cody Rhodes and Sammy Guevara. And I'm going to tell you, I think they had a fantastic match. And the one thing that I love the most about that match was actually getting to see a finish that didn't involve someone actually having to hit their finisher. To see a match end with an old school move, like a small package inside cradle, fantastic for me because I actually popped for that because it's something you don't see on television anymore. I think the women's match, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to probably catch a little bit of flack for this. The women's match on AEW, I think, could have been better, and I think it could have been better had Nyla Rose not been in the match. And I think it's because it has nothing to do with Nyla Rose, and I know there's been a lot of people out there that have been saying that since she's transgender, she shouldn't have been in the match. I have no problem with that. The issue is she is not ready to be on television on a weekly basis. She's sloppy. And she showed that when she did botch that Liger powerbomb at the end of the match on the interviewer that was out there for Rio. I get that sense as well. A lot of people are talking about that. And, and you know, when you're in the bright lights, it could be attributed to nerves. But still, when it comes to millions of viewers watching, and at this point in time, like you said, it was one4 you cannot be making those type of mistakes. People see through those flaws and and will turn off your product rather quickly. I want to get to you guys' thoughts on NXT for a second here and a major surprise in a returning individual to the level of NXT. A great big surprise for me. Do you see it as a step down for him? And what happens when Finn Balor now goes to the NXT full-time? Well, okay. First off, there were two surprises last night. The return of Tommaso Ciampa and yep. Finn Balor. But one was actually on its way because you could tell as soon as he made that workout video the morning of and you saw that he was in somewhat decent shape coming back from surgery, Ciampa's return seemed to be inevitable. And what a better way to go ahead and highlight your show. But with Finn Balor, someone who has actually achieved world champion success, albeit for a brief amount of time before injury set in. And it didn't seem like he was in the WWE's plans long-term after that for any stretch of time. It seems like it's a, a step down for him returning to NXT. I mean, that's just my opinion and I might get heat for it as well, but I just think for him, it's, it's not exactly the best outlook for his career at this point in time. Well, they don't really have any big names to carry the NXT title right now. They, you got to put somebody down there that's, uh, yeah, you're right. Cause other than Adam Cole, there's not a legitimate challenger to that championship right. as well as they've done in booking Matt Riddle. I don't see him as a legit number one yet. And you know, it's that big fish, small pond idea, but what do you think? You know, I, I actually pitched this idea to you yesterday when we talked the possibility that not only is Balor going to be down there, because as you've seen lately on raw, the OC, the team of Anderson and Gallows have been losing again on raw. What's the opportunity that they're going to come down, put them back with Balor. 
that way you have him with some backup against the likes of the undisputed era with now Imperium that is showing up on NXT as well from NXT UK. Would it be wise to actually book a strong faction to come in? And I think personally, that's, that's one thing I would look at doing because I think honestly, I think Anderson and Gallows need a fresh start and they've not been to NXT. And I think that would give them that fresh start because they would be able to work with better talent and better competition would bring out better for them. Right. And also you, the, there's nobody to really go against the undisputed era. There's no other faction there. So it would make a lot of sense if Vince would do it. Well, there is a lot of individuals right now in the WWE that could use a fresh change of pace, and NXT could provide that. Again, you guys are right on the money with Anderson Gallows. Their short-term title reign, again, was not something that worked out long-term for them, and their association with AJ Styles hasn't really been to their benefit like it was before back in New Japan. So you got those situations right there, and it seems to be – something that you're right, that they're going to address and you probably will be seeing more migrations. And for some, like the individuals that wrestle periodically on main event or some of the lower card individuals there, it could be an opportunity for them to advance. But with Finn Balor, who a lot of people see as someone who could still be a big part of their company, I think it's a little bit of a disappointment for him. But you're right, he could take advantage of it and take this time to actually rebirth his character in a way we haven't seen before once again i'm talking to maddox and thunder cookies from the heavyweight chumps you got to check out their podcast each and every week on every single major podcast outlet and also catch them now with their own radio show on radiomemphis.com that's radio-memphis.com aew all elite wrestling like we talked about 1.4 million viewers a lot of great things from it, a lot of great vibes, good reviews, decent matches along the way. They obviously built up some storylines, especially in that last match. I want to hear your thoughts on All Elite Wrestling, where it stands after AEW Dynamite's premiere showing. And, of course, with everything that's great now, you're, you're obviously going to see over the next couple of weeks a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, but they shouldn't essentially be about the ratings now or whatever's coming next week and next week. They need to go ahead and focus on the bigger picture and have AEW Dynamite be something that's special for them six months, a year, and beyond. I agree. They need to focus on long-term storytelling and getting the fans acquainted with the talent that they have. I'm going to go ahead and say, in addition to Nyla Rose, I don't care if I ever see Brandon Cutler back on my television. He just looked sloppy in the ring, and I don't think you can have that out there when you're trying to compete at such a high level. The big thing I think that helped stabilize the television program that the pay-per-views at this point have not had, I think having Tony Schiavone as the third member of the announce team really makes a more cohesive unit on the commentary table. And I think that's going to pay huge dividends for AEW because they have essentially the two voices of professional wrestling for the past 30 years outside of Michael Cole. And let's face it, we all kind of wish he'd shut up. Well, I want to ask you just that. That's one of the things that I found interesting. I shall say for lack of a better term with AEW dynamite. And I felt a need for improvement and 
you're right. Having Tony Schiavone there is great. He still sounds as sharp as ever. Still sounds like he he could be that great general presentation host for a broader audience. If you want to talk specific, specific holds, that was never his forte. But having him as someone that can relate to a large audience, that's something that he can do and do very well. And of course, you have the greatest voice ever in wrestling, Jim Ross right there. But I ask you, my friends, hearing him last night and hearing him over the past few years has been something that it's just his, I don't know his, whether it's, it, you know, the fact that maybe the industry has moved a little bit ahead of what he's able to go ahead and report, but it just seems like it's not what it once was with JR. And I don't know, is there something that maybe needs to be done on that end? Because it just didn't seem to click all the way for me in that two hours AEW Dynamite. And I think they might need something different in his, to spice things up. Maybe not now, but sometime in the future in regards to their announcing. I think JR got used to having somebody in his ear while he was at WWE. It just sounds like his, you know, his delivery and, and what's going on and his knowledge of the current product is just not there. And it's just not able to go ahead and translate that to an audience. I mean, he, like, like I said, he is truly over the course of his 20 plus years, he'll tell you 30, whatnot, but there was a time 20 plus years that he was literally without a doubt, the best voice in wrestling. But I'm not sure exactly that. It, it doesn't, doesn't seem today. to me that he's doing the prep work he used to do. No, no. One last thing to ask you guys before we head on out. And that is WWE SmackDown on Fox. Like I said, it's our return to the WWE two broadcast networks for the first time in a long time. So I ask you guys your thoughts on WWE SmackDown going to Fox. And is this a gamble for Fox that's going to pay off? Well, I think he only did it just so he could fund his XFL. I feel like it's it's going to pay off for Fox. They're really pushing for a top-notch show. I mean, they were fussing because they got Bischoff instead of Heyman when they did the new uh, GM. Oh, the executive producers, executive yeah. Producers. And they're going to get the talent that they want on that show, hands down. With that much money, yeah. My honest opinion, they're going to hot shot the ratings the first couple of weeks, just like they are for the anniversary show. And then you have the draft. Right. And it'll make them essentially brand exclusive, which I think you could just end that wild card rule and we're automatically back to brand exclusive without having to do this. But I apparently don't think on the same level as Vince McMahon, but I think they are going to hot shot the booking with Lesnar on the main, in the main event of the first show. The Rock coming back to the SmackDown for the first time in, what, 15 years or better. So I think it's going to be okay. I think long-term, though, don't be surprised if you see Fox shuffle SmackDown over to somewhere like FS1 because I don't think it's going to pull the broadcast numbers they think it's going to. Guys, it's been great talking to you about AEW, NXT, WWE, all the stuff that's going on in what is considered to be the biggest week in wrestling in quite some time. But I got to ask you, what's going on with the heavyweight chumps? Tell everybody about your brand new show on Radio Memphis and all the great stuff that's happening to your awesome show. We did debut the heavyweight chumps radio hour on radio-memphis.com. It will be on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Central Time every Tuesday. We'll run for one hour. That is in addition to the podcast, which will release on Thursdays. 
what you're going to see on the podcast is we're going back to a long form interview where it's more of a sit down conversational piece with us and a subject, the pop culture news, things of that nature are going to be migrated more towards the radio show. Guys, if you're looking for us, we also, the website has launched. It is madfatloud.com and you can find us online at madfatloud.com. Find us on Twitter at madfatloud. That's also our handle for Instagram. And again, just remember to check us out on radio-memphis.com at 10 p.m. Central Time every Tuesday night. I think you're going to enjoy what you hear. And if you miss it, we're on demand on Saturdays. That's right. We will be in their on-demand catalog beginning on Saturdays. That's again, the heavyweight chumps. You can hear their radio hour on radio-memphis.com. Plus also check out their awesome podcast each week. Well, whenever you want to hear it on every podcast format, again, that's the heavyweight chumps. And I'll tell you what, Maddox and Thunder Cookies, they do a great job on both shows. I got a chance to hear it. I was just so excited for them to hear their awesome show. Now that they're big radio stars, Guys, you know, I'll get an autograph if I get the chance to see and meet you guys in person. I'm going to go ahead and get an autograph because you're now big radio stars. <laughs> well, I mean, we were big before we started, but we're not exactly radio stars yet. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You guys are radio stars. You, you know, Howard Stern, kick him to the curb. Here comes the heavyweight chumps. Hey, I'd just settle for like a tenth of his money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both. You and I both. <laughs> Maddox and Thunder Cookies, they're the guys from the heavyweight chumps. It's always awesome to have you guys on the program. Just cannot thank you enough for taking the time to being part of the pop culture cosmos. Thanks again, Gerald. I appreciate it. Anytime. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. I want to thank so much Maddox and Thunder Cookies from the Heavyweight Chumps for being part of the show. Also Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films as well. If you need a listing of where we're at because we're being played all around the world seven days a week, just check our listings today. Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with Congratulations, You Suck. Tell people out there how they can get a copy of that awesome book. BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, BookLocker, and it's available in both physical and ebook formats. So pick up a copy today. Appreciate it. All right. That is Congratulations, You Suck. You heard it right there. It's available wherever you get your books. Well, my friend, let's quickly run down the games that are coming up in number 71 to 80 on our list of the top 200 video games of all time. This is a fun one right here. Get ready for this 10. At number 80, NBA Jam. Boom shakalaka, baby. Number 79, Metal Storm for the NES. Number 78, Halo 3. Do you still have that helmet, my friend, from the limited edition? Number 77, God of War 2. Number 76, one of my all-time favorites and a truly incredible game. I think it's the best Elder Scrolls. Sorry, Skyrim. Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. 75 is Celeste, which is an outstanding game in and of itself. And I hope all these recent game enthusiasts and gamers out there have had a chance to play it. Number 74 is Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception. 
I've always told you before in the past, my friend, since it's come out, that I think this game is my number one game as far as the best game I've ever played from beginning to end as far as a quality standpoint from storyline, multiplayer, single-player campaign, the type of challenge that you go through and the narrative that you run through it. I think from beginning to end, this is the best gaming experience I've ever had. That's Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. Number 73, looky here, the original Uncharted Drake's Fortune, which is truly a fun game and how I first fell in love with the actual series itself. Number 72 is Strider Arcade. And number 71 is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. That's a great game as well. So my friend, Great list we got here. What are your thoughts on this list from 71 to 80? NBA Jam, every kid has played this at some point. Uh, boom shakalaka. Boom shakalaka in the arcade. I remember that sound. And uh, I know Midway used to make some some good games, but I, I don't know what they're up to these days. Halo 3, definitely it's something. It's bankruptcy, my friend. Bankrupt, yeah, that makes sense. Halo 3, definitely something I've had a lot of experience with. I remember after the game came out, when I worked at Best Buy, I'd come home and everyone I worked with would be playing it. So we'd spend hours playing the multiplayer game. Halo 3 had more replayability than any game I have ever owned in my life. And I still love going back to that one. God of War 2 was fun. So I just recently started playing through the God of War games. I just have to play the third one. I've played all of them. I played God of War, then I did all the PSP games, and then... I play God of War too, and it's it's fun. The combat flows a lot better than the first God of War and all the PSP games, which I guess is to be expected. But it's a great game, good sequel. By the time the third one rolled around, you know, Kratos' whining does kind of get old, but it's a fun game. Elder Scrolls Oblivion. I did play Morrowind, but I played it after Oblivion. So Oblivion is actually the first Elder Scrolls game I played from start to finish, and I loved every minute of this game. And I remember, yeah, the starting out in the sewers, you're the prisoner, and then like I remember the oblivion gates; they were so hard to close. So a lot of the times, I like I had a, a decent set of armor, so I remember I would just go up there, I would trigger the the thing that closes it, and then I would just run. I would try to avoid fighting anybody I can I just try to flee and I remember doing that a lot in this game like when I was fighting people and I couldn't beat them I'd climb up on rocks and just shoot arrows at them so I love Oblivion it's a very quirky game it does still hold up pretty well and I'm curious to see what those guys who are working on the modded version of it come up with Celeste great game love the soundtrack great narrative on mental health if you ever get a chance to play it if you haven't I would definitely recommend it Uncharted 3, I know this is the one where he's a kid, right? Or, or they have the flashbacks of him as a kid. That one was fun. I don't actually know where I would rate them. I remember Uncharted 1 was really fun. Uncharted 3 was cool. I don't remember much about Uncharted 2, but I also remember really enjoying Uncharted 4. Uncharted 2 is widely considered the best. For me, it is a neck and neck with Uncharted 3 as far as the best games of all time. I just like the ending a little bit more. I should say the final boss fight, I should say. Uncharted is a great franchise. Honestly, I love all of them. I'm going to go back and play them again one day, but they're great games. Then that leaves us with Knights of the Old Republic. This is the original. Okay, yeah, this one was fun. This was the one made by Bioware, right? Yes, for the Xbox. Yes, okay, so I do remember this one. This one was a really great game. I remember picking up Mass Effect and really hoping that it was like this game, and it didn't really disappoint, so... You can even play that on your mobile now. 
You can, yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't think it has the microtransactions. So this is a great list that we've got here. Probably one of our best 10 that you and I have experienced so far. And we've still got more to go in our countdown of the top 200 video games of all time. If you want to check out the list because it's already finished and done, the sets of 10 are already up. Want to check it out today, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. You can check it out in its entirety right there from number one to 200. Or you can just keep checking with us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos and PCC Multiverse. All right, my friend, it's been a great episode. Again, thanks to Maddox and Thunder Cookies from the Heavyweight Chumps and Rob McCallum for appearing on the show. Any last thoughts on the way out? Because NHL season is here. I need your picks, my friend. East, West, and who's going all the way for the Stanley Cup? I don't know. It's hard to say with the Eastern Conference. The Lightning always gets so close every year, and so do the Capitals. I think that this is going to be the season the Lightning actually takes the Stanley Cup. But if we look over on the West here, you know, the Predators are in the same arena as the Lightning were a couple seasons ago. They keep getting closer and closer, and eventually they're going to get there. But how do you feel about the Sharks, man? Because they've been in the mix for a very long time, and they kind of gotten to the, the golden spot, but they haven't quite taken it home. Well, I think you just said the word right there, golden, because San Jose is going to be looking up to the Golden Knights once again. I think the Golden Knights have fortified their team even more this year. They have came off a season where they were eh, okay, but they had some bumps in the road. Again, their first year was truly outstanding, a lot more than what people expected. But I think a lot of people are expecting some big things from the Golden Knights. I think in their division, they will outclass San Jose. And I'm here in Vegas. I know the hype train has already started. I know a lot of people are just loving it. The sales of the tickets are off the chain. Try to get a decent price on the ticket here for Golden Knights, and you'll be lucky indeed because the prices are outrageous already. The show within a show within a show, as far as the game is concerned here at the T-Mobile Arena, is just incredible. So I'm going to say with all that and the fact that the team is really solid on all phases of the game, I really did some checking into it. And yes, I am kind of a homer when I'm saying this, but I think the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Tampa Bay Lightning is going to be a matchup in the Stanley Cup for me. But before I announce my winner, my friend, San Jose, not quite enough to match up well with the Golden Knights, but I want to hear your thoughts finally when it comes down to it. Your thoughts on who's going to take it all the way in the Stanley Cup? I think it's going to be the Lightning this year. They have come very close every season, and they are always on the brink of getting that win. I don't think the Golden Knights are going to be able to do it this season because they, they've come close, and like the, their first season was really great. But I also feel like we've had enough teams like the Kings and the Oilers, the Wild, the Blackhawks. Like These are teams that were once great, and they have spent enough time on the bottom, and now they're ready to climb back up the ladder. So I feel like nothing is going to go the way that we think it's going to go this season. But I could be wrong. You know, I like to believe in the idea of the wild card, you know, but we'll see, man. I think with once, uh, you know, November rolls around, we'll have a better idea of what is to come. And we can kind of recap after that. You got it, my friend. We'll recap. But as we head on out, I think for me, who will be holding high the Stanley Cup? I think I'll be here in Vegas, my friend, because I think the Golden Knights will be holding it up for the first time after only three years in existence. I think they'll be holding it up. For all to see. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the P. 
CC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great